Please turn in your Bible, yes, to Joel chapter 3, excuse me, but also we're going to begin in John chapter 8. Joel chapter 3 is where we'll spend most of our time today, but I want you to first to go to John chapter 8, and this last message in Joel today is you must receive the king to receive the kingdom. You must receive the king to receive the kingdom. Jesus, in John chapter 8, it's probably the hottest chapter temperature-wise as far as the dialogue that Jesus had with people, is probably the hottest of all chapters. If you're the kind of person who likes a vigorous debate or a a vigorous exchange, read John chapter 8. You'll be satisfied down to your boots, okay? Jesus really lets it go. Of course, the insults are flying towards him from the Jewish leadership, people who should have known their Old Testament and had embraced him. They should have embraced him as the Messiah. The Messiah is the king, and he offered a kingdom. And yet they resisted, and they were hurling insults at him, saying, well, if you're going to kill yourself, we can't go where you're going because you'll basically end up in hell. I believe that's what they were saying by their understanding of Old Testament, and that's not a true or right understanding. But anyways, saying and insinuating that he was illegitimate, which is something that he probably dealt with his entire life because it's hard for people to believe in a virgin birth, right? So anyways, there was a lot going on, and Jesus comes to this point, and just like Jesus often did, he gave a statement that was so awesome, so powerful, so defeated those who were in opposition, and yet they still continued in opposition. But he said this, and by the way, and you know that we love the nation of Israel, we've said it many times, and we still believe it, and we still love the nation of Israel. We believe the Jewish people have a special place in the plan of God, as we will see today. But here's the point. Jews get saved the same way as Gentiles, okay? You must believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and you must trust in him and him alone for your salvation, Trusting in the law will not save you. And it's not a hybrid. It's not Jesus and the law or Jesus and good works. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without, apart from, the deeds of the law, Romans 3.28. But here in John chapter 8, he says this, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, literally, he in our King James Bibles as italicize, they knew what he was saying because they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. He was claiming to be Jehovah. Unless you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Of course, they did not believe, generally speaking, as a whole, as the nation of Israel, they did not believe that he was the Messiah. And of course, we see what happened. The nation of Israel finds itself in a predicament today, and as they find themselves in this predicament, it is because when their Messiah came the first time, they rejected him, that Messiah being Jesus Christ. The offer of salvation in a kingdom was a legitimate offer to them, but they rejected their king. They even said themselves... We have no king but Caesar. That's a pretty bold disclaimer, right? But here's the truth. If you do not receive the king, who happens to be Jesus, if you do not put your faith in him and him alone, 
then you don't receive the kingdom. If you reject the king, you don't get the kingdom that comes with him. Now, we're going to show you uh, the two charts that we have made reference to during, the, um, during this series, all right? The first one is the general one, the, the uh, future events chart, because I want you to see where we're at as we come into Joel chapter 3. We are in this period right now called the church age. The church age was unknown in the Old Testament. It was unknown. But we know we're in it today. It's called in the Bible a mystery. It's a truth not revealed until the proper time. It started being revealed to mankind right here after the death of Christ, the resurrection, and then on the day of Pentecost, the church age was born. I put approximately 2,000 years. We don't know the time on that. I'm guessing that's somewhere in the ballpark, okay, as we see how things are going. But the church age will end with the rapture of the church to where we who are believers are going to be taken out of the world to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible tells us. The rest of the earth, those who have not trusted Christ as Savior, are going to continue on the earth, and they will enter the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, And it is a seven-year period of time, according to the scriptures. It will be the worst time that the world has ever seen. We'll talk about that again. That will culminate with the second coming of Christ here, and we're going to talk about that today. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come all the way back to earth, touch down the Mount of Olives. He's going to defeat the armies of the world. We're going to talk about that today. There will be a judgment. We call it the judgment of the nations. It's also referred to as the judgment of the sheep and goats talk about that today too. You're getting a lot today. And then will be the kingdom age when Jesus will rule and reign on the planet for a thousand years. And then after that, the last judgment, the great white throne and on into eternity. God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Now, this issue of the rapture, when the rapture takes place, We who are believers today, we're going to go up if it takes place in our lifetime. I think it will. But we're going to go up at the rapture. When the rapture takes place, the world will be forever changed. Now, this is something that I've come to the realization of in a clearer focus in my mind going through Joel. This is one of the things God has done for me in my study and preparation in Joel. The world will never be the same. Now, I kind of knew that, but I didn't think in those terms. Never again will the world be like it is today. It will enter a time of war, the seven-year tribulation, a time of persecution for the believers and for the Jews, a time of death. There will be chaos and plagues that are directly going to be poured out on this planet and on mankind from literally the hand of God himself. And by the way, as we have seen in Revelation, the world at one point at least will come to understand where these plagues and these judgments are coming from, and they will still blaspheme and curse God. It shows you the depth of the wickedness of the heart of man. That time is the first part of what we call the day of the Lord. Only a fraction of mankind will survive that seven-year tribulation period. And the only reason is because Jesus will come back with the saved, that includes us, from all time to defeat the armies of the world headed up by the Antichrist. And that will take place. Now, the scriptures we are looking at today 
You got your Bible? You're going to be reading something that was written approximately 2,600 years ago. Do you understand how powerful that is? We are living in the day of its fulfillment. We are seeing these things come to pass and also others are coming very soon. Other things that we know in Scripture are coming to pass. This is one big reason we believe the Bible is the Word of God. It is the only book of any world, quote-unquote, faith, any, re, re, I hate to use the word religion, but you don't understand, a system of belief, whatever you want to call it, it is the only one that 25% to one-third of it is prophetic. Only God would dare put prophecy in his book. Why? Because he's the one who can fulfill it, because he's the one true God. The others don't dare do it because they'll be proven wrong. The Bible only proves to be right. So we're going to look at two main sections today in Joel chapter 3. Number one, we're going to look at the judgment on Israel and the world. The judgment on Israel and the world. Now let me show you another graphic that we showed you early on during this study, okay? Let's look at that, the mountain peaks of prophecy. During the second part of the day of the Lord, Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the planet. This was known for the Jewish people. They knew a kingdom was coming, and they knew Messiah was going to be bringing in the kingdom. But remember, they didn't know the church age. So here's your Old Testament prophet, let's say Joel, he knew about the first coming of the Messiah. All the prophets did. Isaiah talked about a virgin would conceive. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Talks about his kingdom, right? So when an Old Testament prophet looked, he, they knew about the first coming of the Messiah. And looking at it kind of through a telescopic lens, a telephoto lens, they saw things close together. They didn't understand that there was a big gap between the first coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, beginning the second coming of Christ, time of, uh, excuse me, the day of the Lord, beginning with the tribulation period, then seven years long to the second coming of the Messiah. We're going to look at that today, by the way. And then after that, of course, comes the kingdom age. So the Old Testament prophets, this was their line of view. This is what they saw. What they didn't understand is from this mountain peak to this mountain peak down here was this new thing called the church. They didn't know it was there. It was a mystery. We know it's there because we're living there. As a matter of fact, if you were to put us in this, okay, we're kind of like right there. We're just out of view of the Old Testament prophet. Now, let's turn to Joel chapter 3. During the second part of the day of the Lord. Remember the day of the Lord begins with the tribulation? The second part of the day of the Lord begins after the Messiah comes the second time. That's during the millennial reign of Christ. During that second part, Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the planet. Joel chapter 3 deals with both the first part of the day of the Lord, tribulation, and also the second part of the day of the Lord, the kingdom age. And that's how he closes out his book. Joel 3, verse 1, For behold, in those days and in that time, so remember, we're talking about the first part of the day of the Lord, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them. And, and we would say, now that's changed meaning. 
since the King James, okay, it means I will enter into judgment with them. That's what the word plead means. It's a little different definition. I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. This is what has happened in in our time during the church age. Actually, AD 70, Rome overtook Israel scattered the Jewish people, ruined the temple, demolished the temple, took the things out of the temple, okay, and scattered Israel all over the world. We know in the last days, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, they have to be back in the land for that period. And as we've already seen, they came back They became a nation again in 1948, May 14th, 1948. And they have been going back to Israel ever since. And what are they getting ready for? They're getting ready for that seven-year tribulation period, whether they know it or not. We know it because it's in the Bible. And will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. But you notice he will bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is believed to be in the Kidron Valley. It could also be symbolic in the sense that the word means Yahweh shall judge. So it's just a word to use reminding them that Yahweh is going to judge. And he's going to judge Israel. He's also going to judge, of course, though, in the context, her enemies. We see some of the persecution the Jews have endured down through time in the following verses. Verse 3. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Palestine? Will you render me a recompense or a retaliation? And if ye recompense me, if you retaliate against me, this is God talking to the nations who have persecuted the Jewish people. He says, if you have retaliated against me, swiftly and speedily will I return your recompense upon your own head. Now let's just stop. If you're going to retaliate and persecute the Jewish people who are the people of God, the chosen ones of God, God's going to retaliate to you. Folks, that's like a little kid punching an NFL defensive lineman. There's no contest. There's no contest. God will pulverize the enemy. God will pulverize the persecutor of the Jewish people. By the way, let that be known all over the world today. Listen, Gog and Magog, when those nations in the Middle East come, and most of them Muslim nations, come against the nation of Israel, the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38, 39, you don't have a chance. God is going to completely defeat you and annihilate you, the enemies of Israel. Antichrist doesn't have a chance. We know what's going to end up with him. He'll not only be defeated, but he and the false prophets will be the first occupants of the lake of fire, according to the book of Revelation. Verse 5, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried it into your temples, my goodly pleasant 
things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. You mistreated them. You sold them. You treated them harshly. It's going to come back to you. And by the way, isn't that the fulfillment of what God said in all the way back to Genesis? To Abraham, I will bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off where the Lord hath spoken it. One resource says, more immediate judgment was announced on the Phoenicians and the Philistines, who were notorious slave traders. Joel 3.8 was fulfilled in 345 B.C. when Artaxerxes III sold the Sidonians into slavery and in 332 B.C. when Alexander the Great did the same to the people of Tyre and Gaza. Verse 9, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Here's what the Lord says. It's ramping up. Now, this is prophetic. Ramping up to Armageddon. We know that's yet future. Proclaim this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, in other words, get ready for war, let the weak say, I am strong, assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, gather yourselves together round about, thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. O Lord, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Not a good place to be under the judgment of God. When he comes back to defeat the armies of the world, there will be a judgment called the judgment of the nations. It is the judgment of the sheep and goats. That's another name for it. It will divide believers from unbelievers, those who are in the, during the tribulation period. Let's show that future events chart again, the first one that we, that we showed. Here we are, the church age. We are very close to the rapture. We're going up. The world will come into this time. God has been calling people back to Israel and then the tribulation period is going to take place. This is what we're talking about the last few minutes. When Jesus comes back at the second coming, he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives, and there will be a judgment called the judgment of the nations. Matthew chapter 25, by the way, if you want to see that in the New Testament. Let's go back to Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full, the fats or the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. A major judgment is coming. Beginning with, by the way, the tribulation period culminating with the battle of Armageddon or the campaign of Armageddon. It won't be just one fight, okay? There's a bunch of things leading up to that. And then the judgment of nations, when Jesus comes back, takes his throne to rule and reign for the kingdom, there's going to be a judgment at that time. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near 
in the valley of decision. Now watch this in verse 15. These are familiar scriptures, and we're going to do a little cross-referencing here to show you, that, uh, by the way, many reasons to show you not only how the Bible fits together both Old and New Testament, but in that, the amazing truth of inspiration of the scriptures, how these things fit. Verse 15, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now, this time points to Armageddon and then the second coming of Christ. You might say, how do you know that? I am so glad you asked, okay? Hold your place here and go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus giving what's called the Olivet Discourse. Now, why does he call it that? Well, that's what people call it. Jesus never did. It was given on the Mount of Olives, and a discourse is a talk. It's a lecture. And part of that here in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So when does this take place? After the tribulation of those days, at the end of the tribulation period. That's exactly what we read in Joel chapter 3 just now. And what shall happen? The sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Sound familiar? And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. This is Jesus speaking, verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is that referring to? That's talking about at the end of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ to the earth. You notice here, it says, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, let me make a negative comment about something. Prophecy teachers of the past have seen this and they'll say, you know what, this passage... This could take place in the days in which we live because we've got global television and people all over the world could see this take place because it could be broadcast now all over the world. And so, no, wait, well, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. God doesn't need CNN. He's never needed CNN, nor Fox, nor any. Folks, we're dealing with the supernatural he doesn't need TVs and satellites to do that. He can make everybody on the planet see him if he so desires to make it happen spiritually. God does not need humanistic, human inventions to bring his will about. He can do this. And so this is what we see here. And I don't think it needs to be on TV. Now, maybe it will be. Personally, I think people are going to be so scared and shaken up at this point in time, the last thing they're going to be thinking about is plugging in a camera. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. By the way, a lot of the electronics of the world will be taken out at this point because of the massive destruction upon the planet and maybe even upon the electric grid or power grid is what I'm saying. Now, let's go back to Joel chapter 3. I've said in previous messages, Jesus is coming and he's not happy. Jesus is going to be coming back at the second coming to earth and he's not going to be happy. He's going to be coming as judge. 
Look at verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. I think that's an um, interesting term, saying one of his titles is he is the lion out of the tribe of Judah. And utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. I believe that's literal. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. Now, the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament is amazing. They both proclaim the plan of God for the ages. I want you to hold your place here again in Joel. Go with me now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians, of course, the theme of 2 Thessalonians just happens to be the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 1 in verse 6, it says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense. Do you remember that word? From, from Joel, to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, believers, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, this is not the rapture, this is the second coming to earth, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have not trusted Christ as Savior. The vengeance will be upon the unbelievers. Watch this, verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction? From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Let me show you another passage. Turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah, we're going to go over to chapter 12. Keep this in mind. Zechariah was written about 500 BC. That's over 500 years before Jesus came to earth, before Jesus lived his life, before Jesus died on the cross of which he was nailed to with spikes. And in Zechariah 12, 9, it says, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Is God pro-Israel? What else are you going to get from this passage? Hey, if God's pro-Israel, you better be, because if you're anti-Israel, you're the enemy of God. Does that mean that they're all saved? No. Does that mean that they're going to heaven when they die? Only if they accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But you notice what it says? I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Watch this. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Wow. Over 500 B.C., and the one who comes has nail prints in his hands. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Do you remember? What shall I do with this man? Crucify him. Crucify him. 
And here the crucified one is coming in power and great glory at the second coming to defeat the Antichrist and the armies of the world and set up his kingdom. They will recognize him. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness. That means grief for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. There will be a full recognition of who this one coming is. See, this has been the thing down through the ages, right? The last 2,000 years. Oh, he's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. They rejected him. No, you know, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing good, you know, all the kind of stuff, all the ridicule, all the scorn that Jesus has suffered, had gone through, the rejection. And when they see him at the second coming, it was him. It was Jesus. Amazing. So we've seen the first part of the day of the Lord. We see the second coming of Christ. Number two, let's go on to the blessing on Israel and the world. In Joel chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, we see some of the blessings of the kingdom age when Jesus rules and reigns. It too is part of the day of the Lord. Remember, the day of the Lord goes from right after the rapture through the kingdom age. Verse 18, and it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. They're going to flourish. The fruit will flourish. The grapes will flourish. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. These, these two nations representing the enemies of Israel. A day has come when they are going to be defeated, judged, and yet the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, is going to absolutely flourish and burst forth with richness and with prosperity and with blessing. Verse 20, but Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. No more persecution. Verse 21, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So let me give you some concluding remarks here this morning and listen very closely. This book of Joel starts with the rebellion of the Jewish people. Then God's judgment is poured out on them. Then we went from present judgment that was poured out on them with the locusts. Remember the locusts from chapter 1? To future judgment that's going to come down on them during the tribulation period. But their story shall end with the great joy and blessing of the kingdom age. The kingdom they rejected because they rejected the king will eventually be theirs because they will, instead of rejecting the king, they will embrace the king by faith. They will trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they will enjoy the prosperity and the blessing that God always wanted them to have. But they couldn't have it because you can't have the kingdom without the king. Now let me say this today. What does that mean to receive the king? It means that you put your faith, your trust in him. 
Okay, in Psalm 2, remember it says in the last verse in Psalm 2, kiss the Son. In other words, adhere to Him. Fasten yourself to Him. That's figurative language, but the idea, it says at the end of the verse, trust Him as your Savior. Okay, use the term put their trust in Him in Psalm 2. What is God asking? This is what He's asking the world to do. You're watching or you're here. Listen, God is looking for you to understand you are a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You deserve, just like I do, to be lost and suffer forever in hell because of our sin. We deserve that. I said, well, I'm not so bad. Yes, you are. I'm good. No, you're not. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. It's only the work of God on all mankind now, not just a few, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. All people are being drawn to God today, but many, the vast majority of mankind, continues to resist the drawing and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But God is offering eternal life in heaven for everybody who will put their faith in Christ, believing that what he did on the cross was the payment for our sin. Let me explain it to you. This is you and me. This wallet representing our sin. Here we are, we're all sinners. All sinners. Jew and Gentile makes no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We're all sinners. And God says the wages of sin is death. Sin has to be paid for. God lets no one into heaven simply because, well, I told you you go to hell because I was just trying to keep you living right. No, friend. Everyone is going to hell unless they accept the payment Jesus made. But listen, he's made getting to heaven as easy as he can. It's a free gift. Let me explain it. Here we are as sinners. God says the sin has to be paid for. If we're going to go to heaven, we have to be sinless before we die in the eyes of God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin, Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. But we have a problem. Good works, that's the best we can do. Good works, nowhere in the Bible does it say good works will get rid of the sin. Death is the only payment. So if I am going to pay for my sin, if I'm going to be responsible for my sin and take care of it myself, I'm going to be lost forever. No chance of getting out. God doesn't want that for us. God loves everyone in the world. And he did something for us that no one else could do except him. He took on flesh, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when Jesus went to the cross, the sin that we have done of our whole lifetime, not only what I've done in the past, but what I'll do in the future, when Jesus died on the cross, Christ paid for my sins. God commended his love towards me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Romans 5.8. He did that for you too. Jesus has paid for all your sin. And he rose from the grave. And he says in his word, if you will put your faith in him, if you will trust in him, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. Now watch this. He paid for your sin. 
but the payment is not good on your behalf until you trust in him as Savior. Then that payment is put to your account, and you have no more sins to pay for. It's paid in full. But you must put your faith in him for that payment to be good on your behalf. If you've never trusted Christ, do that. You might say, well, I, don't we need to be good too? Remember, friend, how good do you have to be? Perfect. Are you perfect? Well, no. Well, then your good works won't help. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, look at it with me, verses 8 and 9, it says, for by grace are you saved. See, grace is unmerited. Grace is not something we deserve. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. For by grace are you saved through faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves by your deeds. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone to get you to heaven, do that today. God offers eternal life to everyone on the planet, regardless of religion, regardless of color, regardless of your job, regardless of how you look. It's free to everyone because it has to be because we're all disqualified, could never earn it. So it's a free gift. And when you trust in Christ, he gives you that gift of eternal life. And it's eternal. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. It never stops. Because if it stopped for some reason, it wouldn't be eternal. Or you're those people who believe once saved, always saved. Friend, it's the only way you're saved. If you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all. If you can lose it, how would you lose it? By living bad. So how do you keep it? Well, by living good. Then you're saying it's based on good works has nothing to do with your works before or after you're saved. has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. So I urge you to trust in him as your Savior. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life, and it's yours forever, and you're guaranteed heaven for all eternity. And according to the Scripture, if you're hearing this today, either here or over the Internet, according to the Scriptures, If you believe in Christ as your Savior before the rapture, you're going to be taken out of the world and you won't go through the tribulation, let alone hell. So trust Christ. Today's the day of salvation. Let's all bow in prayer, shall we? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.